Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 5. My guest today is sports nutritionist Patrick Martin Arrowsmith. It's time to high-five and fizz bump. Yeah. A jiu-jitsu podcast for the everyday grappler. Let's talk subs. Yeah. Let's talk positions. Yeah. Let's talk dominating the mats. Welcome to the Let's Talk Jiu-Jitsu podcast with Raymond Terrence. My guest today is a sports nutritionist and owner of Phyto Performance Nutrition in Montreal, Canada. And it just so happens that he also does jiu-jitsu, so it works out perfectly. Uh, Patrick, let's talk jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah, man. So I've been doing jiu-jitsu for uh, over a year now. It's been since last August 2017. Um, it was kind of interesting how I got into it. I had a buddy at work, Dom. He was doing it with us for a while. I don't know if you met him, but he stopped. But his son still does it in the... Uh, and he's, he got his son into it, and he's like, man, this sport's sick. We worked together at the hospital overnight as respiratory therapists, and he would, he'd he be watching jujitsu videos all the time, and he was watching, like, he's like, you got to see this guy, Cascal, uh, and he was, like, showing me YouTube videos, and I'm like, man, this sport looks weird. Like, I'm not sure. Like, what if they're not really doing much? He's like, no, you you got to come check it out. He's like, you'll get a free week. I talked to the owner. I was like, all right, all right. And then so we both did our free weeks together. We went in first day together. And then um, he just basically like flattened me out because he was like, 300, he's 300 pounds. And he just like crushed me with his chest. And I was like, what the heck is this? And then I got <laughs> mad. And then I, you know, second round, I didn't let him do that. And then we just, you know, went through all the different people. We did the warm up, but then we went through all the different people. And I remember um, who did my warm up was. Uh, um, he left now. He went to Ontario. Uh, Claudio. Claudio. Yeah, exactly. And um, strong purple belt. Yeah. So he gave gave us a great initial sesh before we killed each other, and then he ended up coming to see me for nutrition at some point. So it was it was kind of cool. He was my introduction, and then he also came um, and did quite a bit with me nutritionally. So yeah, since since then I've been you know, going maybe twice a week on average, still, still a white belt to this day, but I've learned a lot. Like I've learned, uh, I've come a long way in a, in a year from just getting killed and smushed all the time to <laughs> be able to, uh, that, to that, that's good though. some lower white belts, you know? Yeah, that's good. So maybe just tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, I, I, I've been talking about having you on the show, uh, because of your day-to-day -day business, you know, being a sports nutritionist and helping people with meal plans and this and that and your business and your center that you have going on. So maybe tell us a little bit about your schooling and how you started this business in Montreal. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, ha I have, um, a bit of schooling behind me. I did, uh, two, I started with when I was like 19, I went and I did respiratory therapy. So that gave me my first kind of, that was like a three year college program. And then, uh, started working at the Jewish general as a respiratory therapist since then. So that gave me my first into physiology. Then I was like, you know what? I want to, I've always wanted to, I was interested in health and f like fitness and sports. Like I played sports my whole life. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and do my sciences at John Abbott, get my two years, do all the physics, chemistry, calculus, all that stuff. And, um, and then I was like, okay, I could go into physiotherapy, athletic therapy. 
um, kinesiology or nutrition. And then I was like, oh, McGill has a sports nutrition program at St. Anne de Bellevue. So I was in Vaudreuil. I'm like, that's it. Like that's, and I figured it out while I was studying, uh, doing my two years at Abbott. Boom, finished that up, got into, or I couldn't get into nutrition right away. So I had to do a semester of like, uh, whatever classes. Cause I didn't have a high enough, whatever score or whatever they call it. Got like a 4.0 in that one semester. I just like made my wife do everything. And then (laughs) (laughs) I studied really hard though in that one semester and then got in and then I was like, yes. And it was just from there it's it's been, um, you know, I completed that undergrad, but then I started my business, uh, midway through, um, I had a good opportunity at a, at a gym in DDO called speed science. And he's a friend of mine. So he's like, Oh, man, I got like all of these football players. It's January. They all have no idea what they're doing nutritionally. I'm like, I'm not, man, I'm graduated. I'm working at the hospital. I don't, have, I don't have time. He's like, there's some, you'll get to work with some professional players. Like just anything is better than nothing. They're literally, they've, they're blind. They're living off of powders and peanut butter. And I was like, okay, yeah, fine. Like if it's good, you know, it's going to help me start and you know, who knows where it can go. It'll be good exposure. I got a, I was two years into my degree, my four year, um, undergraduate bachelor's of nutrition. And then, um, I worked with them and it was like, it was like immediately I just loved it. I was so good at it. Started working with a guy from the Alouettes off the bat. And he was like, this guy knows a lot about nutrition. Like, be careful, like know your stuff. And then we just talked for like an hour and I built him this plan and he followed it and was getting great results. And then like, I worked with all the rest of the dudes and some of the guys were going and it was like the SSTS, they do a combine preparation. So it's like guys from all over Montreal, even Canada will come for the CFL prep. And so we had a lot of guys just in their CFL off season. And, but they had a lot of guys who were like coming for the CFL preparation. Like it's a three month plan. They come in January and then the, the combines in, I think it's uh, March. Yeah, it's like three months away, something like that. So they all, they'll come in and it's three months intensive. They're killing themselves, working on their bench press, their verticals, their, um, 40 yard dashes and they're training like madmen. So then they never knew what to do nutritionally. Now that was like a cool thing for me because that's like what I love is sports nutrition and sure applying it to football players. I played football, so it always helps. Like I grew up playing, I played four or five years of, you know, um, football for Lakeshore. So I understood the sport. It always helps when you, you play the sport, you understand the sport. So you could apply the the nutrition. Nutrition itself, it's like it's it's very scientific. It's got to be adapted. But when you do sports nutrition, it's got to be adapted to the sport. You can't do the same thing for a runner as you can for a football player. So it's like if you understand the sport, every guy at a different position has different requirements. So it was like just it fit. Like I knew what I was doing when I had a D-line, when I had a, um, a DB, when I had a running back, when I had a wide receiver. It's like I could, you know, what I wanted to do with their bodies to what kind of fuels to where we were going to how to prepare them for the combine and just kind of jived. And I had a lot of good results there. And that's how my business started. But I just went back to school actually now and I'm studying. um, I went back. I wanted to do research in nutrition. Like it's when you're in your undergrad, you just kind of you learn the you do course, 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 lab, lab, lab. You're just like processing information. You're learning test, test, test. Whereas graduate studies, you get the opportunity now to n- not do that. It's like you've learned all that, 
and you have the opportunity now to produce research. Like you have something you want to, to an idea you want to test and then you get to put it together in a scientific study under a professor. And then you get to publish your, your findings, I'm assuming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now I just went back and I'm, and I'm doing that. So I'm like entering the other realm of academia, which is doing research and publishing research, that whole other ball game, which really helps you understand you, the science at another level, as well as like, you know, being able to understand scientific studies and and how to do them. So I'm just, I'm just getting into that and it's uh, already like I'm getting my hands dirty, but that's cool. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And especially because you've been involved in jujitsu also for the past little while, yeah. you found yourself with a bunch of jujitsu guys who are like, Patrick, please help me. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't recover properly. I'm not eating properly. Cutting weight sucks. So right. maybe give me an idea about how you're comparing the experience that you have working with football players and their nutrition right. compared to these jiu-jitsu guys who are coming to see you about their nutrition. Do you find that the patterns are the same? Doesn't really matter what sport you're doing? Well, no, it's it's definitely it's it's a, it's a bit different. Um, so I, doing jiu-jitsu help me kind of uh, like really understanding the sport, help me kind of gauge what the nutritional requirements are. But you always got to look like, is it more an endurance-based sport or is it more a, a strength-based sport? Like those are the important things to determine on how you want to fuel it, how you want to prepare for it, and then, you know, what you want to do to optimize the recovery. So like uh, I'd say it's it's more of a strength um, with a bit of endurance, you know, but it's not a full – uh, it's not like boxing where boxing it's much different. There's a lot more um, explosive strength required. So um, nutritionally, you know, I'd say it's a um, it's a it's a similar to football in the sense that football is also very explosive. Um, so how you want to fuel it, what kind of supplements you want to use similar um it's also a sport where it's like you really got to think of injury so you want your body to you have to think of inflammation um and i you always think of inflammation but it's something that i i've noticed it's like man you have a lot of guys you know telling you that their hands are sore or joint inflammation and injuries and things like that so um putting a focus on on inflammation and uh, explosiveness i'd say And when it comes to inflammation, people think, or this is what I think, I don't know if people think this, but I think that when I hear the word inflammation, right away, sugar pops into my head because they correlate sugar with inflammation, right? The more sugar you're eating, the more it kind of messes up your body. And I guess in every article that I've read, uh, they tell you that any type of sugar, because you have different types of sugars, right? I mean, we talk about fats, there's good fats and bad fats. But when it comes to sugar, sugar is just flat out bad, especially if you're an athlete. Am I correct to say that? Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's bad. I Like, I'm not of that, the let's say that necessarily that kind of um, thought process or that realm. Like, refined sugar is bad but not all sugar is bad. So when I talk about explosiveness, that explosiveness comes from like your glycogen or your sugar stores. That's like when we look at energy systems, like what energy systems are used. You've got like, let's say your fats, carbs, creatine, phosphate, or your main kind of three energy systems. And they call it ketones, the fourth fuel now. But um, jujitsu, 
relies a lot on that kind of um, explosive strength that you get from carbohydrates. So like carbohydrates, bad sugars, refined carbohydrates, refined fats, like those can cause inflammation. Uh, they're like, they're, they're big contributors to it, but so is, you know, like alcohol, smoking, uh, just like processed foods in general, anytime you take in toxins. Um, but, uh, I wouldn't say sugars or carbs are bad. I'd say that for peak performance in this, this sport as with many sports, like carbohydrates are essential, but you have good kinds of carbohydrates, right? You got like, you have sweet potatoes, you've got quinoa, you've got good breads, there's good breads, there's bad breads, and some people are intolerant to even good breads, and then, then we don't put them there because those breads are inflammatory to those people. Um, potatoes, uh, potatoes with the skins, like those, these are all kind of like, uh, you know, whole grain pastas. These things are useful fuels to an athlete, to a hockey player. Like you, I remember when I was in my undergrad, I looked at like what, you know, high level hockey players, um, were consuming as their pregame meal. Like what were their kind of rituals? So I looked at like, you know, big guys like, um, Sidney Crosby and, and, uh, Nathan McKinnon and, and they all had, I mean, it was pretty generic. It was like, uh, you know, professional players, they'll, they'll practice in the morning, then they'll have their lunch. Their lunch is their biggest meal of the day if they have a game at 7 p.m. So they'll have this huge pasta chicken meal. And the only thing that really differed player to player was like the sauce. Some of them liked kind of rosé sauce. Some of them liked um, uh, just a marinara sauce, whereas other of them liked like, uh, you know, whatever. They had sauce differences, but they all ate chicken and pasta at noon and then took a nap. So that was their biggest meal before their game at seven. And then they'd wake up and have a little snack. But those carbs are what allow them to perform, you know, an hour hockey game, which is also a sport that's very, very explosive and, and has those like um, carbolytic requirements. So carbs aren't necessarily bad. You could take them out of the diet completely to get very strong anti-inflammatory effects if you go into a ketogenic diet. But people make the mistake, they think the ketogenic diet is has anti-inflammatory benefits because you remove carbs. It's not because you remove carbs, it's because the body produces ketones, which um, what I'm studying right now, I'm actually studying like ketones, and they have very strong anti-inflammatory effects themselves. So the body produces those, so break down to fats, and your fats get in the liver converted into these ketone bodies. Those things they're very interesting. There's a lot of science being done on them because they ha they, they're, they act as a fuel, like the fourth fuel, as I had mentioned, carbs, fats, proteins, but then ketones act as the fourth fuel, but that fuel also acts as a signaling molecules. And like one, it regulates this um, inflammatory pathway called the NLRP3 inflammasome. And um, there's, a, there's a good study on identifying that and showing that that that's one of the main anti-inflammatory pathways that, that it can modulate, it can shut down. And that pathway has been shown to be responsible for certain like lung inflammation, um, skin inflammation, gut inflammation. So it's a, it's a big pathway. And now we're seeing that the ketones are what can help modulate it. And I've seen it myself. I've seen people come into my clinic with like really bad psoriasis on their face. Like the, this lady's eyes were like almost glued shut because her psoriasis was, was so bad. And then... Like I had known something called the paleo autoimmune diet. And essentially, it's a ketogenic diet where you eliminate basically all sugars, refined foods, and you're only left with um, salad and nuts. Uh, 
essentially and meat. And then we put her on that and then it worked and it worked when I would put people with like other inflammatory issues on that diet. But why does it work? No one knew, like nobody really knows, like still the, the scientific community is making the connection. But now that I'm studying ketones and I'm doing my research on them, I'm like, oh, this autoimmune protocol works because the body produces ketones and then these ketones stop this NLRP3 inflammasome. Like it's this pathway that can be very aggressive in the body. And then it's can help reduce like things that whatever it, it activates and causes. So I'm pretty sure that the ketogenic diet is inflammatory, anti-inflammatory benefits come from the production of ketones, but not the removal of sugar. So like, I know a lot of healthy people who, I work with a, with a lot of athletes or people in general, CrossFitters, you know, very active, healthy individuals who perform at very high rates, and they eat a lot of healthy carbs as a part of like a you know a whole food plant based diet. They just they don't drink a lot. They don't eat a lot of you know refined foods, inflammatory foods. They just do everything in the right way and then within the right proportions. So portion control is obviously super important. Um, we spoke a little bit about, you know, going to a keto diet. And I, 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 had, I had explained to somebody, I was having this conversation yesterday about how diets can work, but diets are very specific to certain people. So if you take one diet, it's not going to work for the masses, right? There's not one magical solution for everybody. So if someone comes in to see you, they say, I do jiu-jitsu three times a week. I have a full-time job and I'm having a hard time, you know, getting my meals in. I don't know what to eat. Um, you offer obviously some type of meal service, right? So, so you do a meal prep for them. So you tell them, hey, you should eat this type of food at this type of day. How do you go through that whole analyzing what someone should eat at what point during the day based on what type of exercise they do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it, you're right. It's very individualized. Like, it's like, you got to look at the, okay, this jujitsu practitioner, are they someone who's competitive, uh, like wants to do competition? How often do they do jujitsu? Like, um, Will and Gab, I was working with them. Like they, they've been on this show. Episode three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, that was a bit different because both of them do a lot of competition. So I did something, you know, a little bit more, it was pretty structured and pretty controlled. And, and then, uh, we did weight and management. So it was like, I was telling them what to eat in exactly what proportions at what times. And then we did a ketogenic diet because they, they're going to be doing competitions and doing a ketogenic diet. It's like you get used to very low carbohydrates, which helps you prepare for competitions when you have to reduce carbs before competition to drop water weight. So it's like if you train in a ketogenic diet for months, well, every time you you go to a competition and have to drop carbs for a week, you're not gonna suffer because you've trained in that state for months at a time. So you, it's like you call it what's called fat adapt. And then you get better and better and better at performing and training in that state. So even if you are cutting so much weight and so much water that you have to stay ketogenic, you don't have the ability to like, you know, um, put carbs back in and then get that fuel source back. If you have to perform in the ketogenic state because you want to play at that weight category, well, you can, and it's not your, your performance is not going to suffer. You're probably a better performer with carbs in the system, but at least you can like perform in a carb depleted state. So we did that. But for the average person, 
it's like find a way if if we're looking at weight loss well we'll probably start off with something like if you've heard of intermittent fasting i like to do that for busy working people people are who are you know um they work a job they have a family and they do jujitsu two to three times a week well they don't have it it's harder for them to follow a very heavily structured diet like will all he has to do is kind of like do jujitsu and then work at the jujitsu place. So he, when I put him on a diet, it's like he followed it to a T. And I said, you're going to lose two pounds per week. It was like exactly two, 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 two. And then I look at his logs and he's like, everything's calculated. And he nailed it because he has the time. That's for a guy who just does jujitsu, basically. I mean, his right. life is jujitsu. I mean, he teaches, he trains almost every single day. Um, if you take me as an example, you know, I have a daytime job. I have a nine to five. I have to do jiu-jitsu a few times a week in the evening. I, I try to put in, you know, about four or five classes a week, but I still have a daytime job that makes me run around everywhere. I have zero time to keep a log for anything. And I have to say that I've tried it in the past, but my nine to five is, yes, I'm running around, I'm looking at my phone, I'm checking emails, I'm responding to clients, and then I get home and it's like I have things to do at home and then my only time away that's kind of my time is when I go to jiu-jitsu so I think a, a lot of people that train jiu-jitsu that do it as a hobby uh, obviously it's something that they're very passionate about but someone who only does it a couple times a week like you said might have a hard time keeping all these logs um, do you find that there's a there's an easier way to success to be able to keep basic logs can someone still keep a log but maybe not go so much into detail and still get useful information out of it right well it depends like we build different kinds of plans we have some where you have to log your food and nap or we build you a plan where we just tell you what to do so it becomes like a, a basic structure either way like both of them they're not super complicated like obviously if you got to log your food it's a little bit more complicated but the working person still can do it the other way it's just like it's very straightforward it's just like do this do this do this you'll feel better you'll perform more you'll know what to drink how to do it but to, to do nutrition it, it's still it's effort whether you have a plan that's all laid out for you or whether you got to log it and do a little bit more work for yourself like it's still effort to follow the plan to meal prep to do all these things so again we like we got to look at the lifestyle we got to look at what's realistic um and it's adaptable it's like if if i'm working with a, a combine athlete again you know i'll make them prepare everything and i won't I'll just do what's the best because he's got the time to do it with uh, someone who's working. It's like, well, intermittent fasting works really well because you don't have to prepare anything. You just, you know, you eat less by restricting your hours to eat. And that ends up working for a lot of people. It's like, I like to wean them into it. And because um, you, you don't want to jump into like fasting for 16 hours right off the bat, especially if you're not used to controlling your diet. But that's one of the, I'd say, the easiest ways for people um, like fathers, people who work, families, and do jujitsu on the side to control your nutrition. You even produce a little bit of ketones like when you fast, if you could get up there. But start with 12 hours. You know, just uh, skip breakfast, start eating at 10 a.m., and then push it to 12, and then eventually, you know, push yourself to two. But even in the long term, you, you know, you don't always have to eat breakfast you could you get in the habit of of regularly pushing yourself 10 to 12 
then it's like, okay, well, that's going to help me eat less and probably lose weight. And then if I could push it far enough, I might even produce some of these ketones that are having all these interesting effects on muscles and the mind. I get that from my fasting. And if I'm losing weight and the intermittent fasting, it's also been shown to like um, stimulate something called autophagy, which is good cellular repair. You get that through weight loss, fasting or the combined um, makes you feel better. It produces like norepinephrine when you're fasting. So you get an energy boost. Uh, you kind of get all these things from a fasting type diet, but then it, again, it's like, what do you eat in your window? Well, you can't eat garbage. It's like now when the food does come in, you got to make sure that that's good food, whole foods, like a lot of fruits, vegetables, like it's pretty basic. If you want to eat well, eat, you know, whole real foods, good meats, good fish, chicken, beef, game meats, if you like them. And then if you're eating carbs, well, they're good carbs. So like it's always, it's just brown. If it's brown, it's a good carb. It's as simple as that. It comes with anything that's brown comes with all the nutrients and the fibers. Once it's like, if you, if you look at a, um, a wheat grain, like wheat's not good for everyone if you're gluten intolerant, but if you're gluten intolerant and you have underlying, like there's an underlying autoimmune thing going on that I believe can be corrected even if you're gluten intolerant, but if you're gluten intolerant, like don't eat gluten, it's clear. Actually, we do a genetic test at our, uh, at our, at our um, clinic, and it's called nutrigenomics, and it could identify four genes associated with your risk for gluten intolerance. So how come five years ago, 10 years ago, we heard nothing about people having gluten issues, and then all of a sudden, gluten's all over the place. People are just, I can't eat gluten, I can't eat gluten. And for me, maybe it's just because I'm oblivious, but I find that it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I always found the same thing. I never had an issue with it, so... Um, I remember that they were showing the statistics on it in school when I was studying nutrition. It was something like 2% of people have gluten intolerance, yet like 100% of people are worried about gluten. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's one of those weird, weird things that happen. And it, it's like the marketing and food companies took advantage of this rare gluten intolerance to produce all these foods and it became a health food. And then mm. it's like the uneducated average individual wants to be healthy and they pay for health foods. Like health foods is a big industry. So anytime you can market something as a health food and there's a reason behind it, they'll just keep pushing. It was kind of like, it was just one of those anomalies, but gluten's not bad for, for everyone. Like I'm, I, I did my genetic tests and I have very low risk for gluten intolerance. And it's like, I could eat as much gluten I want. I don't get bloated, but I have, um, uh, one of my clients, um, who had done the genetic testing, he had very high risk for gluten intolerance and he had known it. He's like, yeah, I know. And then, uh, we accidentally put gluten back into his diet recently. And he's like, um, it was a high protein bread. that was like, it was a low carb, high protein bread that we had used to try and get his protein levels up. But I didn't realize that there was gluten. And, um, he's like, I'm out of breath every time I eat that bread. Like it might, I could, you know, I just, I get a little bit hazy and I'm feeling out of breath. And then when I looked into it, I'm like, oh, there's gluten in it. So it's like, it does exist. And people who do have it, it's like an allergy and it could create inflammation within the body. And that inflammation can manifest in different ways. It could be like people eat gluten, they get joint pain, you know, or people get it and their lungs start to like seize up and they feel out of breath. My joints always hurt. So thanks for labeling me. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a gluten issue. Apparently <laughs> I want to ask you about issue, that because a lot of jiu-jitsu people, we, we have issues with our joints, you know, especially for people who play a, a lot of gi. 
yeah. that do more gi than no gi. Um, you know, whenever you're grabbing on sleeves or grabbing on collars, uh, my joints just kill me for days and days on end. I had somebody at the gym tell me that they were supplementing with some type of vitamin or some type of oil that they were taking daily that was helping them with their joints. Not too sure what that was. Do you have any advice for anybody who has joint pain or any type of suggestions for them? Yeah. So again, that comes back to like a, a low inflammatory diet. There's ways to do it for with supplements. Obviously, um, you want omega-3s. Those could come in the form of chia seeds, hemp hearts. There's an omega-3 called alpha uh, ALA, alpha linoleic acid. That's super important because it produces anti-inflammatory hormones. So this omega-3 specifically is what you want in your diet. You can get it. Uh, flax is one of the, the main sources. I usually recommend it. It's, an, it's called udo oil. It's a, uh, it's, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah it, it's a great oil because it's um, the guy studied nutrition. He had a PhD in nutrition, and then he wanted to create he looked at all the, the fish oils on the market and these oils, these very sensitive omega-3 oils, it's like when you go through oil processing, there's four steps. It's called like um, winterization, um, heat extraction, bleaching, and um, you know, there's one uh, deodorization or something like that. They, and you, when you process any oil, it does that, whether it's, you know, um, as long as it's not an extra virgin, but it, most oils that you see on the shelves, like canola oils or fish oils that, that you would buy, they go through this and it degrades the oils, and spe- especially omega-3s. They're so sensitive. They're very long, sensitive um, fatty acids that the minute they're exposed to oxygen or light, they begin to break down. The quality goes down. So this guy, Udo Erasmus, he, uh, he realized that and he's like, we're not getting enough omega-3 in our diet. And if you don't get enough omega-3 and specifically ALA, that creates inflammation in in the body, it can create joint inflammation. So getting enough of this specific omega-3 is probably going to be one of the, the number one things to help you reduce joint inflammation um, and improve recovery. Uh, but you can get it through chia seeds, hemp hearts, and flax. The udo oil, I, I like it because it uses flax oil and it extracts the oil from the flax and evening primrose and a couple of others in a way where they don't use heat, oxygen, light like he has a he's he created um a manufacturing facility specifically to extract fats from all these organic seeds in a way that it protects the quality of the oil so you get this beautiful product and even you know he goes to the uh length of detail where he puts it in a box so the light can't penetrate it and then even when you open it it's in a brown kind of amber container to protect it again and it's airtight sealed and then you open it and you keep it in the fridge so I add that into a smoothie. You could kind of teaspoon it per day, but I'd say that's probably for jujitsu guys, udo oil. You get it with the DHA. The DHA is another kind of omega-3, which is good for your nervous system, specifically like um, your um, myelin sheath around your nerves. You know, like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's associated with low levels of this specific fat, DHA. You get it from fish, but you could get the udo oil with this added DHA in it. That's what I recommend. It's about 30 bucks for a bottle, but it's a really high quality product and it'll last you a couple of months if you take it a teaspoon a day. So well worth it, half teaspoon, teaspoon. Um, as well, throw in chia seeds, hemp hearts, and uh, you know flax to things or do that instead of getting the oil. But I, I like the oil personally. So that, you know, that's a useful supplement. Um, and then eating a whole 
you know, reducing refined sugars, uh, refined oils, and um, eating a lot of antioxidants. It's like a high food antioxidant diet's one of your your number one ways to um, protect your health, get your nutrients, but also reduce inflammation. So it's like, you know, find ways to get quality fruits and, and veggies in, like a good spinach salad. You know, throw in carrots and peppers and some strawberries with some olive oil and balsamic. Pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds are great. Put in feta if you like cheese and some chicken or salmon. If you could get in like a healthy salad like that per day, don't overdo it on the oils and the cheese if you're trying to watch your weight. But something like that provides a lot of nutrients and antioxidants. Like, you know, there's vitamins, minerals. You have your macros, fats, carbs, proteins, and you have antioxidants. They're unique compounds. But if you have a net influx of antioxidants in your diet in relation to the amount of oxidants you produce, that overall has benefits to your health um, and, you know, benefits to reducing inflammation in your joints, in your um, in your arteries and even your brain. Did you find that nutrition has uh, any type of effect on people that are rolling all the time and they're like i have another guy sweat in my eyeball and it's up in my mouth it's super unpleasant i know we get a lot of bacteria right and a lot of people say hey if you're sick and you have a cold i don't want to see you on the mats because you're going to get everyone sick and everyone have a cold so i'm assuming that eating well and keeping a super healthy dolly will probably increase your immune system and will kind of help your overall health to kind of avoid all that bacteria that everyone's falling into or running into on the mats i'm assuming right yeah food definitely plays a role um of of keeping your immune system healthy especially protein like your your immune system is is made out of um protein so getting enough protein protein deficiency is one of the ways where you can suppress your immune system so getting quality protein in throughout the diet uh throughout the day at, at a level that's that's good for you depending on your sport you know if you lift weights, you need more protein. If you roll jujitsu, you don't need too much more, but you do need some, and you want to make sure that that level's adequate. But the biggest thing for um, your immune system is sleep. Like if the the easiest way to suppress your immune system is not get enough sleep. Like that's the number one factor when it comes to immunity and keeping that immune system up. So for me, that's always like seven hours. Uh, seven. Yeah. Seven's yeah. the minimum. They say, um, anything below seven and you start to get negative effects, whether it's on your immune system or just like cognitive. You're just cranky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I get less than seven hours, I'm just super cranky. I need to get at least seven in. Yeah. So, um, what about supplementation? You spoke a little bit about it. So are you someone who will suggest, you know, like a multivitamin, uh, to take daily doses of vitamin C to do BCAAs after a workout. Is this something that you encourage with your clients? Um, it depends. Like it's it's sport specific again. So like I'll use a variety. I'll recommend a variety of different supplements depending on um, the sport and like how serious the, the individual is for the sport. So like from sports supplements, you've got creatine to beta alanine to citrulline malate to betaine, to whey proteins, to BCAAs, to gainers, to like... It never ends, technically. Yeah. I mean, if you go into a supplement store, there's thousands of bottles with thousands of names and you don't know what's what and you're just praying that the guy working there right. actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some things are useful when it comes to jujitsu. I'd say creatine's probably the most useful um, supplement for 
for performance and recovery, right? Uh, it can it, helps, yeah. it can help with recovery. So what creatine does is it's um, it's naturally produced within your body. We store it within our our brain, and you get it in meat, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, it's meat, in- meat and cranberries. But but it makes sense, like because we store it in our muscles, so any other animal would too. So if you eat it, you you get a you get a dose, but you can also supplement with it and um you'll maximize your dose like every individual has like a peak dose i think it's five with, with the research that i've done on creatine because i've done quite a bit of cycles of creatine i think the maximum dose you know they take i think it's five grams and i think your body caps out at that if not 10 grams i'd have i'd have to read up on it again but yeah it's somewhere around there. it's somewhere around there i think yeah. right like even if you gave yourself uh you know you took four scoops of five grams a day your body can't maintain it anyways right i think it just flushes it out yeah there's like a peak concentration it might take you a couple of days to reach your peak concentration and then you want to keep at that peak um and then at that peak is like where you'll get the peak performance benefits there's also like interesting cognitive benefits that have been shown for memory and um and uh for for recovery but the main benefit for jujitsu is for um the it's like your main explosive fuel. So when you look at your your main fuel sources, you got creatine phosphate, um, and you get your creatine phosphate's a fuel source whether you eat creatine or not. Your body produces it, um, glucose, and then fats are, and ketones. But creatine phosphate is like when you run a forty yard dash, um, you know, three to seven seconds they say of your forty yard dash is going to be. Um, purely fueled by creatine phosphate creatine phosphate is like your 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 rocket fuel it's like what your body uses when you do like an explosive movement um so if you have a low dose or a low store of creatine phosphate you'll your store you'll run will you know you'll run out of that rocket fuel after three that nos after about say two to three seconds whereas if you have a high store you'll be able to run your full 40 in that um in that uh in that nos zone and that's what you want so for for jujitsu it's like you're constantly going between like um calculating a move or defending a move to now you got to explode and execute or get out so it's like you're you're using a lot of that creatine phosphate for the explosiveness the explosive nature of the sport that's why i'd say it's pretty useful um and I, i remember i got fred on it um I was explaining it to Fred and he had kind of like knew, you know, he, he has a science background in athletic therapy and osteopathy, but he was never, he's like, I always heard people taking it, but I never really took it. And I, was, and I explained it to him. Like, he's like, yeah, that, you know, that makes yeah, sense. I, I think a lot of people, when they hear the word creatine, they think bodybuilders, right? They, they think that they're just going to become these giant muscly dudes. But in reality, that's not the case. One thing that I did find though, about taking pure creatine, right? Cause we're talking about pure creatine. I'm not talking about creatine that you're taking in pre-workout, right? right? So taking uh, pure creatine. I was having issues because I am an active competitor yeah. and I was gaining too much weight yeah. to be because I, of all the water retention. Right. So when it was time to cut weight, 
right? So I would be, I would have to cut to 181.5 and with the creatine, I'm walking around at 190. Yeah. And if I wasn't on the creatine, I'd be walking around 185, 186. Right. So it was really hard when it was time to kind of start prepping my yeah. body to cut that weight. It was a, exactly. dry, I had to get off it right away. And I did notice a difference. I would say after a couple of days or a week, I noticed my weight start dropping a little bit. Yeah. But I think that's what I, the, the issue I ran into the most was having to exactly. stop it, to be able to make weight, to be able to compete. But I guess someone who doesn't compete on a regular basis and needs that extra fuel during their roles or during class, it's a good solution. Right. Well, yeah, that's like, that's one of the things there's different kinds of creatine. Some of them don't store as much fluid within your intestines. I think it was creatine monohydrate. Right. That I was taking. So that's like the, the, the base form and it works well. Like they'll, they'll all have the same kind of muscular explosive benefits. But if you get like an HCL or um, another form of creatine that is better absorbed in the gut, you don't get as much water retention in the gut. You just get it within the muscles. So that might help. Again, it's like managing um, your weight class. Like where do you want to perform? Is it like, is it worth it for you to dehydrate and deplete? Do you have that much more of an advantage with nothing in your system at 181? Or do you stay hydrated, carb loaded, creatine loaded, um, and then ready to go at one one ninety five. One ninety five. That's yeah. that's always the the like the debate. Do you sacrifice everything in there because you're that much better down there? Do you know you're confident and that's the thing to do, or do you load up on anything that's useful, stay carb loaded, fully hydrated, yada yada yada? And what would you say? Would you give the same advice to uh, women? What what when when it comes to creatine or yeah for. for for uh, anyone, if you want to be competitive and, and get an edge, it's useful. But you gotta like if you want to compete in a tournament, well, you gotta take into consideration the the weight retaining effects. If you're close to your weight category, then you could take like a higher quality creatine. You'll get less water retention in your um, in your abdomen, less bloating. Most women hate that anyways, so it's like you know. Um, they'll probably invest a little bit more for the more expensive creatine. So you don't get that kind of um, bloating in the stomach, but uh, yeah, it's useful for men and women. The other big thing is, is probably beta alanine I'd say is, is also useful. And you don't have as much water retention, if any, with that. Isn't there some uh, type of weight loss associated to, to that? Beta alanine? Yeah. No. So what it is, is it's uh it's a, you take it, it, the body takes it up and, and it converts it to something called carnosine in the muscle and it stays within the muscle fluid, the cytosol and, uh, becomes a pH buffer. So when you are, um, exercising and, and, you know, producing hydrogen ions and lactate within the muscle, your, your pH begins to drop and that drop of pH is associated with like loss of muscle function. So the, you know, the more acidic your muscle becomes, the less you can, the less strength you have. Whereas um, you naturally have something called carnosine in the muscle, but taking beta alanine raises your carnosine levels. So you get more of that buffering capacity, allowing you to offset more acidic, like you don't get as much degradation of like muscle function um, as you, you know, if you're, if you're well buffered. So it allows you to kind of like at that moment where you might've like gassed out or, or, or lost strength and lost position, you, it might help you kind of maintain that strength and push into a more dominant position, you know? So those two things I'd say are probably 
like from sports supplement worlds, BCAs are not super useful. Uh, maybe if you're doing weight loss, but you, otherwise, like there's not much evidence for them being able to really. Not even for recovery? Potentially. Yeah, but it's not super strong evidence. But I mean, it's like it's one of those things like if you like them and they make you hydrate better because you're drinking more water. But there's really like BCAs are kind of really overrated, unfortunately. I like them. I drink them. But how about uh, pre-workout? We have a guy at the gym right before he even starts technique. Like we haven't gotten into roles. He is taking his scoop of pre-workout and he gets on the mats and the guy's a spaz. But if he's not on the pre-workout... He's just a normal guy, but this guy can go and go and go on this pre-workout, and it's like rolling with, like, eight tigers type of thing. Yeah. It's, like, really intense. Is it something? Who is it? Uh, <laughs> Will. Oh, is it? I, I actually... You know what? I gave him a recipe for, like, a really hardcore pre-workout. I told him to buy all the in, in, oh, yeah? ingredients individually. I, I have to say, I, I haven't seen him take it, I would say, maybe in the past month or month and a half. But Will, which is the guy that we had, uh, the um, BJJ Brambo that we had on episode three, I used to see him take a scoop of pre-workout, and I would watch him drink it right before we would go onto the mat to, yeah. to, to start class and i was like man i came to the wrong class <laughs> a because i know he's gonna pick me first yeah. he always picks me first and i know if he's on pre-workout i'm toast even when he's not on pre-workout <laughs> i'm toast but yeah. on pre-workout he's even that more of a spaz do you find that there's any type of benefit of, of pre-workout before jiu-jitsu well it depends like pre-workout it's usually a combination of the two things i just mentioned creatine beta alanine the other thing I had mentioned, which is useful, is citrulline malate and then caffeine. So the interesting thing about caffeine is it's beneficial for about 50% of the people, and it it's a performance reducer for the other 50. So it's like you got to know your genetic variant. So anyone who's like a higher-end athlete who's you know trying to go professional in whatever sport, I'll say invest in a genetic test, whether you do the the 23andMe, it'll at least tell you your caffeine variant. How much does it cost to do a test like that? Uh, the 23andMe, I think, is around 200 bucks. Okay. But it gives you, like, a lot of really interesting information. And you have your full, like, your DNA is, is sequenced. And you could download your DNA on your computer. And then other companies will, like, be able to identify different markers. But the 23andMe is totally worth it. They, they give you so much. And every time they identify a new gene for a disease or whatever... They'll update it for you. Do you, do you have to send a blood test in? No, blood it's, it's sputum. sputum. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I have one at my clinic that's more, a little bit more nutrition focused. It's like they, they've got a little bit more like, you know, it'll tell you your vitamin A requirements and things like that. Are you gluten intolerance? Yada, yada. But it's a it's, uh, hundred bucks more. And that's just the cost. Like it doesn't even, like I don't make money on it. It's just, it's a $300 test and it's done at University of Toronto. But, um, 23andMe is great for the average individual. Um, the but you do it and at least to know whether you're I think it's called the CYP three A one gene or the CYP one A two that's your your caffeine gene and are you a um, fast or slow metabolizer of caffeine? If you're the um, fast metabolizer, well, caffeine has performance benefits to you, so it actually reduces your pain threshold. So when your body would normally say like stop, you can push yourself a little bit further. So when they do like time trials for people who are like biking as fast as they can, you know, they improve under caffeine, but they didn't, they always had mixed results with caffeine in scientific study because they, they never identified the genetic marker. But now that they're, that they, they've identified the genetic marker for fast and slow metabolizers, they're consistently getting 
positive results with testing. Like, oh, if we put the slow metabolizers um, in one group and the fast metabolizers in the other, well, the fast metabolizers produce results in performance. But so like caffeine pre-workout is predominantly caffeine with a mix of beta alanine, um, creatine, probably citrulline malate. If you, um, like I'm saying, it's beneficial to you if you have the right gene variant. Otherwise, you're reducing your performance. And the people who are on the slow caffeine metabolizer, they get more anxious. Like they'll make mistakes. Uh, They can't think as clearly. And they get uh, their heart is more prone to like um, arrhythmic beats, like off beats. And and then they might feel more out of breath and, and they're all like, it just coordinates them almost. I am in exactly that boat. I actually drink decaf coffee and everyone's like, man, Ray's a loser. Like, this guy is decaf. <laughs> and I'm like, I need my decaf in the morning because I, I do enjoy the taste of coffee. Right. The issue was, is that it was getting me really riled up yeah. and my heart would be like through the roof. I tried pre-workout once and I was like just at another level. I was bouncing yeah. off the walls. It was really bad. And it wasn't like a, a, a good thing. Um, I drink uh, a decaf or two every morning. Every now and then I'll have an espresso because my wife's Italian and she loves her coffee. Right. Uh, but anything that has to do with regular coffee, my body just cannot handle. But I know I can't handle it. And that's why I drink decaf just yeah. because I like it. Well, that's taste. good. That's good that yeah. you know you know yourself. Like some people don't figure it out. They just... But uh, that's what you, I mean. You don't have to pay two hundred bucks to find that out. Like if you know, you, <laughs> you know. But some people don't know. When it comes to hi- hydration for jujitsu, yeah, drinking lots of water. Everyone keeps telling everyone drink lots of water. You hear it all the time. Drink, uh, you know, ten liters of water a day. Do you have any advice when it comes to how much water everyone should be drinking per day? I mean, if you go on Google and you type in your your, your body weight. And uh, it'll tell you exactly how much water you should be drinking based on your age and this and that. Is there like a generic rule for people when yeah, it comes to water? There is a, it's a generic rule. It's like it's 30 mLs per kilo is like a baseline. Okay. So you weigh, let's say hundred kilos, 30 mLs per kilo. That's three, 3000 mLs. It's three liters. And that's like roughly what you should target. And that's a pretty good, well, that's what they use in the hospital. A lot of the times, like oh, when yeah. they have to cap- calculate fluid requirements for uh people who are on ventilators and you know they're feeding them through tubes well it's you know it's one of those or the other one they use is how many calories they give them well one ml per calorie that they're metabolizing but 30 mls per kilo for the average individual like just punch that number in that's your your rough estimate maybe take 20 percent off because you get about 20 percent of your fluid requirements from food like you know you eat a salad that's a lot of you eat a fruit there's there's water in there so it's like you could take that 30 or I think it's even 35, 30 is taken into consideration fluid from, uh, from food. So that, that's an easy way to get a marker. Um, a super important tip, a super useful tip for hydration is wake up and drink. Um, always leave a cup of, if you're a guy, two cups, if you're a girl, probably one cup, um, of water out on your nightstand or on your kitchen table, leave it out overnight so it's room temperature. And the first thing you do every day is chug that water. You're not the first person to say that. I I don't remember who told me that and I am in the habit of doing that. I've been doing that for a year. I always, the second I wake up in the morning, before I brush my teeth or I do anything, I drink basically a big chug bottle full of water. And I don't know if it's helping or not, but I do it every day. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, nutrition's always like that. You don't know if it's working, but you just keep doing it. Um, is, is there a reason why uh, people should be drinking water the second they wake up in the morning? Yeah. Well, the big thing is you, is you wake up every day dehydrated. Like you, you, your body goes through 
a lot of metabolic process throughout the night. And if you notice, the first thing you do when you wake up is you go pee because your body, to clear that metabolic process, it um, uses your, your body's fluid and then it produces urine and then you get this like dark yellow pee. So every day, no matter what, even if you don't pee, it's probably because you were already dehydrated and your body's like, you can't sacrifice too much more fluid, but it's like, no matter what you're, you're dehydrated. So it's like, you want to, before you go onto that coffee or to that meal, it's like, you want to get back up to baseline. Otherwise you're starting your day at a deficit of, of maybe half a liter, maybe more depending. Um, and a lot of people who don't have that habit and they just go right into that first coffee, which could be potentially a diuretic for some people, you not for everyone, you know, they go into that first coffee and then they don't drink. And now they're starting to get even more and more dehydrated and they have headaches. They're sluggish at noon. They don't know why they don't feel good. They have fogginess and you know, they're trying to think of a variety of things, but it's like, it could be as easy as just keeping your hydration up. And the easiest way to do that is like that simple little trick in the morning um, of drinking room temperature water. It's easy to drink. Uh, it's easy to throw back like cold water is hard to drink a lot of it, especially when you just wake up, your teeth are sensitive. So it's like the room temperature goes down smooth. You could chug it easily. It's not painful. So it's like wake up and then eventually it's like automatic. It's with nutrition. It's always about creating those automatic patterns, like putting your socks on. It's like do it for 21 days and it becomes, you know, almost like a lifestyle. It's just you to think about it, but get, get it ready, get it done. And then you do it and it protects you. It'll never be a reason for you to feel crappy or to not perform well. You got to do it throughout the rest of the day. But once you get that done, it's a big step in the right direction. Like five, get 500 mLs, And that's, you know, if you're only two liters, well, you're a quarter away to your hydration requirements and you're not starting the day off dehydrated. What's your take on the pre-made meals? So I'm getting into a phase now where my wife is due in like, like 48 hours. I wouldn't be surprised if she comes downstairs mid podcast and says like the baby's coming now. So we're getting prepared to, you know, have a hard time when it comes to making meals and this and that. So we're looking into being able to get a service where they're delivering pre-made meals to us. So it'll make our life a little easier, at least for the beginning. But I know a lot of people out there are interested in this and that's why you see more and more businesses opening up pre-made meals, 10 bucks a meal, 13 bucks a meal. It just makes everyone's life a lot easier. There's less meal prep to do. You have guaranteed meals throughout your day. Everything's pretty much done for you. Uh, what's your thought process on that? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. Um, I think it's a great way to, to stay healthy, to have food prepared for you. So you're not eating like chips and crackers and whatever's in the, the pantry. Uh, but I, 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 you know, Again, it's like, is it, uh, you got to look at the, the lifestyle, the cost factor. It's like the cost to reward. It's good as a backup for some people, you know, don't do it all the time. Cause it's, it will, if you're spending, you know, 10, 15 bucks on your pre-made meals for two people for a month that, you know, that adds up, that's 40, 80 bucks a week. Um, you know, 240 bucks a month that adds up over a year. If you can afford it and you don't have the time, that's an excellent solution. Like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who can't afford it and they just, they don't have time. They're, they're busy. They own businesses, they work kids. And if they're not doing the 12 to 10 to $12 meal, you know, they're going to be going out for a 20 to $30 lunch. That's healthy. So then it ends up, you know, it makes sense. It's better than McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You always have something it's ready and it's usually like whole good balanced cooked food. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so it depends on on your situation. Like in your case, you know, for for a couple of weeks, a month, sure. Like that's you know that creates that backup. You're not gonna have time. That's excellent. You get nutritious, balanced food for 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 you and your wife, especially for your wife breastfeeding. That's a, that's a great way to do it. For other people, it's like a mix and match. Some people it overlies, but I think it's it's a great service, you know, for anyone who needs it. There's a lot that's popping up everywhere. Like every, you know, we've, in Montreal, we've got options. There's probably 10, 20. Some of them will ship right to your door. Others you'll pick up, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a it's, useful tool. Yeah, it's very popular. I doesn't matter where you are. If you're in Canada, you're in the States. If you go on Facebook, I mean, you'll have hundreds of groups of uh, different companies offering meal plans and whatnot. I guess it's important to know how they're making it, where right. where are they getting their ingredients also. Right. Because you kind of want to know what, what you're putting in your mouth. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's some that aren't good out there for sure. You got to be careful. You want, you know, good food. So plug in your uh, your company a little bit and uh, let everybody know where you're at and how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, so Fido Performance Nutrition. You could uh, find us, uh, our website's phytoperformancenutrition.com or it's linked to phytonutrition.ca if it's easier for you. Um, Instagram, follow us on Instagram, Fido underscore performance underscore nutrition and Facebook, same thing, Fido performance nutrition. You could find us. We post stuff sometimes, um, Instagram stories, you know, Facebook feed, I try and write, um, write blogs or do little video logs and, and, uh, send out what I'm thinking and, uh, yeah. Awesome. That's great. Thanks very much for your time, Patrick. I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show and you're welcome back anytime. Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Let's Talk Jiu-Jitsu with Raymond Terrence. Go follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page. Turn on notifications and press that like button. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the mats.